0: strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E.
1: This is the Mindful Education Warrior. Are you ready to unleash your inner warrior and live a life of peace? My name is David K. Richards, and I'm on a mission to highlight places and spaces where mindfulness and an education revolution meet. As a school founder and CEO, mindfulness teacher, and leadership coach, I share inspiring and practical lessons while also interviewing other amazing changemakers. If you're ready to bring radical change to education now and live and flow, then join me to be part of the revolution that moves from the inside out. Hey, everyone. I know you're going to love today's episode. I have a conversation with Michael Fenchel, who is a social entrepreneur and facilitator. He started four successful companies, including Breathe for Change. And this is where I met him with Breathe for Change, which is a movement enhancing the well-being of over 5 million teachers, students, and school community members. BreatheForChange.com. You're going to love this organization. He's passionate about conscious leadership. He's also the co-founder of PRDX, which is a community of founders co-creating belonging and flow. And Michael lives in Austin with his partner, Adriana, where you'll find him freestyling, meditating, and exploring consciousness with his friends. You're really going to love Michael. And what we talk about in today's episode and what you're going to learn is the importance of mindful leadership, regardless of whether you're a formal leader or not. How to create lasting change from the inside out by following your deep calling and your mission. You know I love talking about this. The importance of mindfulness strategies in your daily life and specific ways to get into the flow state. So Michael has a lot of expertise around the flow state and Brain activity and neuroscience, and he's going to speak to the flow cycle and the four stages of brain activity, the secrets to a powerful meditation practice. He's taught thousands of people to meditate and has some really good insights there. The importance of regulating your nervous system and how collective well-being and individual wellness is important to the future of education. And then finally, how nature-based wisdom and following the flow of life helps you create lasting impact. Enjoy the show, guys. Thanks. All right. I'm really excited today to be here with Michael Finchel. Michael, thanks so much for coming on with us. Absolutely, David. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's so awesome. I was. We were just sharing before I record that. Uh, Michael's one of the people that I, before I even knew him, I had reached out to him via LinkedIn. I was like, you have to be on the podcast. Like everything <laughs> you talk about is what I want the podcast to be about. So super excited to have you today and would love to just kind of jump in and ask you, you know, what do you think about when people ask you, like, what is this mindful leadership thing? And what, is it, you know, what does it mean? Or how do you define it? Mm.
2: Well, yeah, definitely loving all the overlap that we have to David. I, that, that's something that I've noticed too. And, you know, honestly, I think my definition of mindful leadership keeps evolving. So I don't know that I have like a neat and tidy answer for you, but to yeah. me, like what that, what it means is being aware of and conscious of how we're leading, um, the impact we're having, you know of course being like having intention in what we're doing but also you know aligning our intentions with the impact we're having and really understanding not only from a you know an output of what's the ultimate impact we're having on the on the world or on the on our on our customers or on you know the the student base that we're serving but also what's the impact of the people that we're working with day to day how are we how are we relating to people um so i think about it through the lens of you know uh, the breathe for change framework, which we, you know, I co-created, but is this idea of self-relationships and community? So am I being mindful of how I'm being with myself? Am I aware of how my own well-being? Am I aware of how I'm relating to myself? Am I aligned with who I want to be? Then being mindful in my relationships and then in the, the broader community as well.
1: Yeah, I I but the, people ask me to define it and I'm always like, okay, how am I gonna define it? So I was really curious how you're gonna answer it. And I keep wanting to like simplify it as much as possible. I love your answer. It's like Mm. very simple, simplified, but sometimes I'll say to people, mindful leadership is literally knowing at each moment, whether you're in expansion or contraction, Mm. right? And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, okay. So to your point, like you're, you're mindful of yourself, you're mindful of your community, you're mindful of others, but really it starts within yourself, right? Like, am I expanding right now? Like right now we're talking, I feel very expansive. Right, mm-hmm. like your energy is very expansive, mm-hmm. but there's times throughout the day where I don't feel that way. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm like, I'm contracting a lot right now. So then I ask myself, okay, what's going on? And I feel like, as leaders, you know, like the leaders in a bad mood, or someone's in the room, or whoever's leading, or you know, they have so much responsibility for yes. not behaving immaturely and being unaware. So I think that's a, a core element for me. Actually, I love that you brought
2: those two words up because if I were to do, try to do like a sync definition, I think I would say awareness and responsibility of both our intention and our impact. It's like, are we aware of what's happening? Are we aware of what we're wanting to have happen? And then are we response, are we responsible for actually having, you know, the impact that we want to have? So, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And this podcast is really for what I'm calling education change makers, you know, people that are really interested in seeing change in education and I feel like the essence for me of the podcast is really about you you can create change on the outside without doing the work on yourself. But the real like lasting impactful change is when you actually really like look within yourself and, and create the change. So for you, what is important about you know people listening that are education change makers, leaders, and I like to for me, I like to like define the term leader as very broad. It's not the CEO, it could be anybody who's influencing change in their space. So sometimes people get turned off by like leader, but oh, when I say education change maker, it's like whatever you're doing to create change in your, with your context. But for you, like, why is it important for people to be mindful and have mindful leadership as part of their process? Well, I love that. First of all, def- like making
2: sure to be inclusive with the concept of leadership. Cause I think what we need in this day and age is, is collective leadership. I don't think one person can lead effectively. Right. I think we all need to really proactively, you know, make the best out of the situations we're in, which I think of as leadership. So anyway, yes to that. Um, I can answer that question on two levels. Why I believe it's so important for us, for those of us who can, who take that, take on a leadership role uh, to be mindful. One is on a personal level for myself. I just, I failed early on in my entrepreneurial career a lot. And I recognize now that it's because I wasn't being mindful of my leadership. I was really I was passionate and I was doing things for the right reasons, but I just wasn't aware of how I was showing up. I would get frustrated when things wouldn't work the way I, uh, you know, ultimately I was trying to, I was seeking validation and I was, I was not as aware of the parts of myself that weren't aligned and they were sabotaging me and all that. So, but when I shifted to actually bringing my focus inward and every day asking myself, you know, how can I show up as the human being that I want to be regardless of, you know, what happens in the external world, I actually, you know, there were 3 projects I was working on at the time that all turned into startups and or mission-driven orgs that are still around and growing. Right. So there was like a really clear line in the sand for me. Once I picked up the mantle of mindful leadership, things started going really well. So I don't really know how to explain why that is. That's just been my right. experience. Um, so that's like the personal layer. Then as far as the, you know considering why mindful leadership is so important. I mean, it's exactly what you said. I think that unfortunately our world is full of people who probably have the best intentions, but are so focused on creating change in the world around them that they don't even realize the impact that they're having. And I think it ultimately limits and sabotages the change that can be created because, you know, for any number of reasons, but if there's not like a coherence between who we are as leaders and what we stand for in the world, then ultimately, even if in the short term that you, we can inspire people to like join the mission or do things like in the long right. term, there's going to be a dissonance, and that dissonance starts to create starts to undermine the integrity of the movement or the organization that is you know trying to create the change.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And now I'm curious around for you when you kind of started to become more mindful, and you were, you said you you know you were starting these companies and you failed. And is there a story? I mean, there is a story there. What's the story there? Like,
2: <laughs> Yeah. Well, the core of the story is that uh, when I was about 20, when I was 25, my dad passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And before that, I just didn't really understand that life is short and precious. And after that, it was like a, obviously it was like a, you know, an intense experience that was really sad. Um, but there was something about just facing the facing mortality and just facing the like preciousness of the time that we get that had me choose. And I remember really consciously like choosing, like I, cause I had been learning, you know, I'd been learning yoga. I'd been meditating some, I'd been reading a lot, yeah. everything from, you know, philosophy to different, you know, r- spiritual texts to whatever else. And I, I knew what I believed. I knew I believed that change has to start with, with, from within, you know, Gandhi being one of the, one of the many who have, have, you know, revealed that and lived that as examples. So I knew that, but I wasn't, but I was caught up in the world that we live in. I was still, even though I knew that, like on my day-to-day, I was still making decisions that were, you know, trying to chase the thing that seemed most shiny or, you know, shortcut. If there was actually like a hard path to success, but there was a shortcut that might get there faster. I would take the shortcut. Even if I deep down, I knew that it was better to do the hard path. And I, that that's, that's what I shifted when my dad, for whatever reason, when my dad passed away um, and I also went through a really big heartbreak at the time. So I was kind of like, also like, there's not a lot left to lose. I don't know. I felt like there wasn't a lot left to lose. Um, There's a longer story there, obviously, but short story is in that space. I just, um, yeah, I decided to give it a shot to experiment and say, well, maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe it's not just about, you know, chasing the shiny object or, or, or trying to create as much change as fast as I can in the world. Maybe it's about, maybe there's a path of choosing to do the right thing in every moment and trust that over time doing that will lead me to where I want to be. And that's where, you know, that's where I did start to experience quite a bit more success. And at first I was like pinching myself. I was like, is this actually working? You know, like, there was like a moment, a phase of being like, wow, that just happened. That just happened. Like, how is this, is this actually, you know, working? And I'd catch myself like wanting to go back into the old mindset because there's so much, you know, fake it till you make it like whatever. There's so much pressure and influence in the world to kind of go do this, go the, go with the grain or or do the status quo, especially in, well, in all over the place, but especially in business, like that it took time, but over time I've thankfully cultivated, you know, I've been very, I'm very now very deeply understand and believe that when we really do that work internally, it translates into the type of external creation and, and, and success that we want to experience.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I feel like when I almost asked like, is there a story? And of course it's a story and it's an awesome story. And I feel like one of my favorite lines is, you know, the breakdown leads to the breakthrough. And I feel like that's an example there for you around. And I also love what you said about, you know, we are I'm a paradigm shifter. So I love to think about the paradigms that need to shift and what yep. are the lies we've been told and the things that we kind of become the default. Like we got to turn it upside down. And I know you are too. That's why I love you. Oh yeah. But, you know, the, <laughs> the whole belief that the grind and all this stuff. and like, like you said, especially in business, it's like, here's the formula. And what I have found is that when you really figure out your own authenticity, like your true authenticity, that come deep from within your soul, right? Like that authentic mm. part of yourself it doesn't matter what the formula is or, you know, there's an execution pathway, there's different people, but when you start to really do the inner work then it's like, things start to unfold for you more organically. And 100%. I know you believe that too. I really want to hear about your experience with nature. I can't remember how you worded it, but like nature and wisdom. And I want to hear all about yeah. that because that's like a big part of what I believe too.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Well, and also I just wanted to say, cause I think what you brought up is really important. I think that all of these this business skill set and strategy and entrepreneurial advice out there, it's important, right? Like it's not only being authentic, there's also skills and all that, but it's just, it's, and I know you agree with this, but just, but it's just, which is, which is, which is the why and which is the like, which is the like core and which is the like tools, right? Like connecting to the core of a mission and living it every day and then seeking out the, the other people yes. and the skills that we need to accomplish our mission is really important, but, but not in a way that pulls us away from that, that deeper why or that deeper core of how we're, how we're doing it. So just wanted to name that. Cause I think it's super important. I love that you brought that forward. And I find that people get caught in like an either or mentality about that yes. a lot where it's like, either I'm going to like live my authentic life and just like kind of forsake the world of business almost, or just like say right. through it to the whole world of business yes. or People are in the world of business trying to create tangible things, but but lose track or maybe never were super in touch with the really deep you know, layer of connection and uh, to something yes. deeper or greater or whatever the right word is. And so I think where those come together is where the sweet spot is.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. I'm so glad you said that. And I know I'd asked you another question, but I want to talk about this for a little bit longer. Yeah, it's so, let's do it. so really, I feel like what you're saying is... Because yeah, there's this kind of line of like, oh, just be really authentic and just like screw the formulas. And I'm like, okay, I know a lot of people that try that and don't actually succeed on the outside. So they might have like a really peaceful life and a great life and things are going well. But like when it comes to actually succeeding in the external world, there's like this integration that happens, right? And I feel like what you're saying is work from the inside out and not the outside in. Right. Because yes. we go on social media and we're like, oh, okay. If I follow Joe Schmo, I'll make a million dollars in 69 days or whatever. Right. Like, right. Than- <laughs> yeah. Which like probably not, but. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you're like, well, I don't really believe that if you're like, if I, but okay. But if I follow that formula, I'll get it. And then there's a part of you and like within you that's like, okay, hey, we know that's not how it works. You know, like what is coming through you from in, a, in an authentic way. And you find that why you find that authenticity. And then you're like, okay, now I need a structure to launch breathes for change or to create my school or whatever it is that we're trying to create on the outside world. And I feel like that's such an important nuance. I'm really glad you brought it up.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I get to coach a lot of entrepreneurs. One of the, one of the organizations I started or movements I started as a, like a, an incubator, but it's a very unique, um, it's the largest co working space in Wisconsin. Now I'm from Madison, Wisconsin originally, but okay it's like got a very unique flavor towards helping people who want to have a positive impact or do good in the world, like helping them succeed entrepreneurially. But so, and I, and I, and also anyway, without going all into it, I I spend a lot of time supporting other entrepreneurs. And so I really feel like there's a, um, there's this really potent, um, successful place where we're most connected, like we're deeply connected to who, to what, why we're doing what we're doing, who we want to be in it. And we don't, Get pulled out of that center of that, and at the same time, we embrace we embrace the strategies and all the technologies and the tools that work, and don't reject them just because maybe they weren't designed from like you know some deep place of connection. But that's okay as long as we are as long as we hold that. Then I think we can leverage you know the things that work in the world of business. Um, So yeah, it's it's an area I spend a lot of time thinking about because I think it's a it's a dilemma that many people face who want to create change. It's like how much to work within the systems that are here, even right. if they don't necessarily believe with a lot of their underpinnings versus to step outside of them. And I think there's a path for everyone, but I, I yes. for me, my path is to, is to not, is to have kind of one foot in both worlds, like be outside, not be fully in the system, but also really, you know, leverage it to create positive change in this, you know, in the society that we're in
1: yeah and I would say for years, I was much more in the like buck the system and like screw the system, but that was really just my angry inner child <laughs> right as right. I worked through that feeling and really doing that shadow work, like I now understand that you can do both, like mm. you can create something on the side and mm. you can also kind of disrupt a system, and they they have to work like as an ecosystem together. I love that
2: well, it's actually a good segue to your other question because yeah, part of the way that I learned like the the body of wisdom that I've learned the most from is, um, actually are a few different, uh, indigenous like lineages of, uh, from the Navajo and different descendants of the Mayan and, and, and Kero peoples. But I, so when I was about 20, I got introduced to this, um, wisdom keeper who is in Wisconsin, who I would go out and spend like a weekend on her land, just learning from her every, I don't know, a few times, four or five times a year, maybe, Um, I got really, I got, I mean, she's amazing. And I got really connected, but to her and to the practices, but mostly what I was all about is to spend time in nature and, you know, I'd be meditating or I'd be reflecting, but a lot of it was to be like, how does the natural world work? How do things relate to one another? You know, how does, how how does, what's the rhythm of it? Like, what's the pace of it? Like, what's the feeling like, because in nature, everything is authentic. Nothing is pretending to be what it's not, you know, unless it's like, on very rare cases, like a hunting strategy or something, but basically like, right. Think no, they're not, nothing is as far as we know, like censoring themselves or being like, should I be myself or not? It's like, no, that everything is being itself. So yeah. there's something amazing in that. And also growth in nature is really beautiful too, to me, because it's like a harmonious growth. There's not like, you know, it's like growth over time. And it's like, by definition, I think like sustainable growth, which is, I think something to aspire to. So anyway, there was lots of, um, so many lessons I learned, through that, that actually informed a lot of, you know, the story I shared about after my dad passed away, like that, that was a large part of the wisdom that I really wasn't, hadn't been living fully in my entrepreneurial pursuits that I did live, um, more since then. And, um, still do. Now I do I actually have another wisdom keeper in New Mexico that I regularly see, but go on vision quests, like, uh, so be out in the desert for six days and nights by myself type of thing. And like really get clear on, you know, why am I, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about how nature has really, how like nature and nature-based wisdom practices have supported me in, in the journey.
1: I really love that. And one of the things I like to talk about a lot is whatever you believe in terms of like your religion, your spirituality, like that gets messy, right? In, in totally. The human form, in the human form, like <laughs> real messy, <laughs> like wars and deaths. And, but I always just say like, do you believe in life? And do you feel the flow of life? And like, Mm. does the I always joke, like, does the leaf say like, okay, I need a project manager to decide when I'm going to fall from the tree, right? Right. It's just like, does the river like say like, okay, I'm not going to flow that way until I get, you know, permission from the the leader or whatever. So I really am a believer in just like, can you connect with the flow of life? And I'm Mm. actually not one of those guys who's like super into nature or, you know, like mountain person or a hiker. And my wife's annoyed because she's much more of an outdoors person. And she's like, you just want to play basketball all the time. Do you ever want to like go into the mountains? And I was like, sure, they're beautiful. But, you know, but as yeah. I've gotten more connected with the flow of life, it's like, oh gosh, now I get what people really feel when they go out into these, you know, spacious mountains and when they're mm-hmm. out in the wilderness. Because it's literally, like you said, it's just the organic, harmonious flow of life. And my goal in life is like, can I live that way on a moment-by-moment, day-to-day basis? Like, can I just live in the flow of life and not interrupt life with, the stories of the mind or you know my past or future projections just like just be right here right now just in the world of life and I feel like that's really cool that you got to go and do like six days in nature because that is that's how you live that way right is you just connect in that way so deeply
2: yeah I mean yeah, So I've done it three times I'm doing it once a year at least for four years which is like part of the tradition of what I'm the path the lineage that I'm studying but yeah I mean I certainly I first of all teach their own. I don't think it's like we each, all of us have our own ways of connecting with that flow of life. And I love that you're bringing yeah. that up. I definitely don't think that like going on a vision quest is for everyone. And, right. and certainly wouldn't like, you know, put it out that way either. I th- vision quest in particular is a very sacred, you know, rite of passage. But yeah. I think that whether it's nature or any other, other activities that are, you know, helping us connect with something greater than, greater than ourselves. And again, it doesn't have to be like some, it can be whatever that means. That means that can be, you know, the living universe we're in. It can be earth. It can be just a community, whatever that is. I think having time to get beyond ourselves intentionally and really be, be connected to, um, to that feeling that can arise in us. And actually I study flow states a lot. The other thing I do lately is coach entrepreneurs and teams and flow and belonging. And so, there's so much amazing neuroscience around flow also. And it's like very flow is an awesome subject because there's incredible research and science to back up the state of our nervous system. Like if flow yeah. is essentially like the optimal functioning of our nervous system. And it's an evolutionary state that we can access. And it's, it, it helps us get outside of our limited perspective and really feel like we're merging with, with something that's, that's beyond ourselves. And. Um, it's like cross-cultural, it's found in all different yeah. societies. Like, so it's it's absolutely like a real biological, you know, neuroscientifically backed phenomenon that we that most humans, if not all, have experienced at one time or another. And so I think it's a really cool place to to go because it's something that is inherently we're all inherently capable of, or at least almost all. And it's like it it, it does have this sense of you know purpose and a sense of, of, of real meaning in it. So, so yeah, so I, I love that you bring that up. And I think it's, for me, I find that a lot in nature and some people play it, find it playing sports, which is another place where it's really, or yeah. making music or yeah. you know, connecting with friends or yes. whatever it might be. Um, and I think the key is to, be aware of how our, like, be aware of our state, you know, another, yes. another definition of mindful yes. leadership is, and I love this is what you said, like, are we expanding yeah. or contracting? Right. Yeah. It's like, well, what, yeah. what's our state of being right now? Are we, yes. are we curious or are we judgmental or any of the other ways that we can be? Cause that's having, it's like an invisible lens through which everything that we're experiencing yes. is coming through. And if we can be mindful of that, like what are the emotions that are present? What are the thoughts? What are the, what's the state of being then so much of the time, if we're not connecting with someone else, if we're experiencing conflict, if we're frustrated or stuck simply by shifting our state of being, we shift that conflict or that, that barrier. And and I think that in and of itself can save entrepreneurs and anyone change makers, anyone so much time and increase our effectiveness to be able to create the change that we want to create so much.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, um, this reminds me of a story. So I had a program for a while where we would train leaders on kind of all of these things we're talking about. And mm. one of them was a principal and I also do like school school leader groups. And she's like, Oh yeah, I want you to come to my school. I was like, great. And then we were kind of chatting. Like, what do you want me to do? I haven't done this for a while with teachers. And she was like, Oh, well the first week in your program, you just asked us to be aware of our state of being, right? Like just <laughs> for one week. Yeah. And when we come back next week, like tell you how we noticed it and what, what was different. And She's like, can you just do that with them? And mm-hmm. so well, I met with them last week and I, I basically just said like, can you be aware of whether you're expanding or contracting and start to bring that awareness? And then to your point, then I was like, what well, we'll go next time is we'll think about when you feel more expanded, when you feel more open and aware, and you know, like the so, things are going well and more in the flow, then like, what were you doing and how can you yeah. shift that? And so yes. I want to talk to you about this. Like, what are some of the things that, because I'm talking to educators here, right? Like, what well, are some of the things they can do? And I always talk about, well, you're with children a lot of the time. Totally. So you're not sure how to switch from, you know, like an, a contracted kind of the mind and the stories and all that, like just watch like an animal, nature, or go be with a child or, or a teenager. That doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a five-year-old. Like I used to work in high schools. like teenagers are amazing, right? They're not fully, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they're fully in flow, right? Most of the time. That's why they mm-hmm. drive as crazy as adults. <laughs> they're so in flow and the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. But, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are some of the things that, you know, you would tell people in terms of what they could do to kind of shift or be aware or whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, I love everything that you just shared. I think awareness is definitely the foundation. I mean, when it comes to getting into flow state, um, or to flow, but like that type of state of being it's, uh, well, first of all, I think that some of the most like universally accessible and, and like effective ways of doing that include the breath is, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we started a company called breathe for change. Breathe the for whole change. <laughs> It's because, but, you know, and have even learned, I mean, there continues to be just more and more amazing science and research coming out about how the breath works and how it stimulates the vagus nerve and how it like so many different things about it. Right. But the breath is to me, the breath in many ways, the breath is like the bridge between our external world and our internal world. Like it's, we're always bringing air in, we're always letting air go. And then beyond that, it's also like the biggest, most immediate regulator of our nervous system. So To me, like basic level, right, is taking three deep breaths or you know, Mm -hmm. seven deep breaths, whatever it might be, and um also posture, right? Physiology, because the different ways that we hold our body have a huge influence on the thoughts that we're having and the emotions that we experience. So to me, it's like noticing, first of all, if for me, frustration and impatience are my like I go there and that's my they're my like enemies. Every entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? It's we all have different ones for me. (laughs) It's that I like, I have such a sense of urgency that like, I just have to consistently practice relaxing basically, but for others, it might be different, right? It might be sad. It might be like depression. It might be whatever, but yeah, I think noticing and then yeah, taking a few deep breaths and just finding a posture that feels good. Like for me and for for many people like open to open, you know, open hearted and just some deep breaths and then, and just focusing on the body and how it feels to do that. So breath and physiology are, are, you know, are probably the, the, I would say like the fundamentals for this, but the other thing that is really valuable, there's, there's something called the flow cycle. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but it's maybe you have, but there's essentially there's four stages that the, that are of, of brain activity that we go through every time we enter flow. The first stage to simple, to oversimplify it, the first stage is intention or challenge. So basically we come across either some challenge that we're facing, which or some something we want to accomplish, which usually it's both, right? I mean, you can't really have a challenge if there's not some thing you're trying to do. Um the second is call is like when we release and let go. And this is where most people, many people um fail to enter flow because we because actually, in order to enter, and the third stage is flow, then the fourth fourth stage is like recovery and integration after flow. And the first stage of intention and challenge is happening mostly in the conscious mind in the prefrontal cortex, like you mentioned, right? It's like, I really, you know, I have this intention or the goal of my students learning, you know, this math lesson, right? And the challenge is maybe there's, you know, disruptions in the classroom, for example, right? right. So, are the natural tendency is to get frustrated or to like think about it or to like talk about it? But actually, that second stage of the cycle is about releasing and letting go and actually relaxing and to get out of the overly thinking and either into the body through some breathing or movement. That's why some of, one of the reasons, many reasons, why you know, mindful movement in the classroom and with students is so valuable, but yeah. To, and then, and then that's actually what supports us in getting into flow. So I think learning about it, there's a great book called the art of impossible by Steven Kotler that really dives in, in an accessible way, but also really goes into the, the neuroscience of this. And I think just like having a basic understanding of how we function, you know, how our minds and bodies work can really help us to identify like, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling right now? And what can I do to address yes. it?
1: I love this so much. And, um, I'm like not an expert in any of these things and I don't want to be, I've always been a generalist. Like that's why yeah. I was a re- like, just a really good at leadership because I never had to be an expert in anything. Totally. I just like oversee everything. But anyway, yeah. so I guess that's part of this podcast here is bringing up people that can speak to this, but I really do want to have more people speaking to the nervous system and the vagus nerve, a lot yes. of things you mentioned, yeah. the breath and that kind of thing, um, which is great. And we'll, we'll keep talking about that throughout this podcast, but. I do think all the things you mentioned are really vital. And I always say, just like you've been saying, figure out for yourself what works best for you, right? So like, I'm very kind I told you I play basketball, I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. So like, I have to get out and like walk and move and do stuff, you know, like I I do sitting meditation, but I didn't do it for so long until I was about 40 something, because it was like, well, number one, I had a traumatic childhood. So Mm -hmm. sitting still and breathing, was like very, very traumatizing for me. It was just like, I couldn't sit still and just breathe, right? Because it's not like, a, like my nervous system thought, well, you're going to die. Like, like, you know, like that's literally how it feels, right? When you're, when you're in fight or flight. So it's like sitting still and breathing was like fight or flight for me. So it took me for years. But what, it, what helped was just doing a little bit at a time, like a few minutes, and then walking meditation. And then, mm-hmm. you know, talking to people while I was walking, but making sure that I was aware of where I was operating you know, am I operating it in a place of expansion or contraction? Because you can talk to people and walk and it's like super not expansive and not helpful. But yeah, yeah. So I always tell people, figure out what works for you. You know, I have a friend who like could not do sitting meditation for years and now she's a professional artist and like the paintings she creates, someone just paid like 10 grand for a piece she created. And it's like, mm-hmm. she couldn't sit and meditate, but if she paints for like three days straight, it's like, she's massively expanded. Right. And so you got to figure out what it is for you and what works best for you. And part of that is like knowing yourself and experimenting,
2: right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, meditation often has like a particular image, you know, sort of, I think that's changing now, but anyway, has had like a very specific understanding of like what counts, you know, that's the number one thing. I mean, I've taught meditation to thousands of people. i mean, I've trained thousands of people and how to be meditation teachers. And I think the yeah. number one thing is people are like, am I doing it right? And it's like,
1: you know, <laughs> the it's wrong like, question.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. And I get it because that's how we're educated. Like that's yeah. how we've been educated, right? There's a right and a wrong and all that. But it's, it's, it's like the biggest barrier is that, is that thinking that it has to be a certain way. And, yeah. and, you know, in truth, when we give our mind space and just pay attention, we're doing it right. And, you know, it's going to look very different because we're all neurologically very different. And, you know, and obviously on all the levels, very different from one another, we're very diverse. So meditation also needs to be as diverse as human beings are.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I want to kind of transition a little bit around, you know, you started Breeds for Change, co-founded Breeds for Change, and I'm launching this podcast and, you know, the podcast, I and mean, I've been doing this work for a long time in education too, around how do we as educators, education change makers yeah. really start to shift the way we're operating in, this, in the school and in the space? And my dream is that as we get more and more educators, I say education change makers, I'm talking about people that really want to create change, not people that are yeah. just kind of clocking in, clocking out and going through the status quo, but people that are like, I, I'm here to create change. This is a calling for me. Like everything I ever do is a calling. It's not just yeah. like, I'm just going to do this. Like, this is a calling and, you know you talk about as like collective well-being or well-being in schools. And I know that's like center uh, breeds for change. So I just love to hear, you know, what, what do you think needs to happen in schools? And how do we create this movement so that more and more educators are doing this type of work? And what I believe is that it ripple effects out across the whole entire industry, and especially for the students. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, I will say right up front, I definitely don't have the answers as far as like, what needs to happen on the whole systemic level. I think there's right. a lot that needs to happen, but I do, I love the question. I just want to say right up front, like I've never been in the classroom. I, I taught Spanish after school and, but my, <laughs> but my, my experiences with adult is like working with adults, yeah. training, educating adults yeah. who, and, 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 and supporting edu- many expert educators working alongside many expert educators. So right. I definitely just to name, like, don't have, like I said, I don't feel like an expert at all as far as like what, what school needs to look or what I think school needs to look like. But what I do know, what I do know for sure is that, and, and I, and we use the word collective well being a lot because, because I think that first of all, I know for sure that wellness, mental, physical, emotional wellness is incredibly important and is the foundation for everything, including academic learning. So that's, and, and, and it is making its way into schools, it seems, but it is still so, under emphasized and also unfortunately educators are so often not in their own best state of well-being that it's very right. hard wellness is something that like you need to you need to be well to be able to really teach wellness in a, in, a, yes. in, a, in a meaningful way because kids because students will learn more what they see than what they hear right they're gonna yeah. if the teachers up front what they feel what right. they feel is right so right they if, they, if the teacher's doing their best if the teacher's underpaid overworked super stressed out, you know, and frustrated with something about the administration or whatever, and they get a lesson plan on, you know, compassion, and they're trying to teach kids how to be compassionate when inside, they're feeling incredibly frustrated and stressed. It's not going to land. It's not really rocket science. And it's not that educator's fault per se. It's just not going to work. Right. So we need to, we need to first and foremost, and this is what breathe for change is all about, but we need to equip educators. We need to support educators in having well, in experiencing well-being, so that they can effectively yes. teach that to kids. You know, me- mental health obviously is huge. There's such a crisis going on, and it's only getting worse. Uh, and that's you know, that's with adults and students. But if we don't have adults who are able to resource themselves and have the support they need and the and the skills they need, then it's very hard to to get that to the students. And then the other thing is, so that that's that's something that we're passionate about. I'm passionate about things needs. It's a very over over underemphasized part of um, what's needed in education, and then the other, you know, the other thing that really comes to mind for me is this idea of collective well-being because we human beings are very interconnected. Like when we're you know, we know we all know this on on, a, on an unconscious level. We can walk into a room where there's like incredible frustration, or like you can walk into a room and like feel the tension. And you're like, you want to like back out of the room because it's like, dang, there's something going on here yes. under the surface. Right. Or you can walk into a different setting, you know, whether it's, whether it's a, you know, some close friends who are having a great time and you walk in your nervous system immediately relaxes because our nervous systems weren't designed to they're not isolated. Like we are social creatures and our yeah. own state of our nervous systems is intimately related to everyone that we are around. So when there's, so there's, so the ways that we interact with one another, the ways that we care for ourselves and care for one another, ways, the ways that we build relationships, the ways that we build community, these all have a huge impact as well. And that's something that I really don't see being edu- that student that like I think the adults often aren't educated on and all because it's the science is there. It's been there for a while, but it's not like it hasn't really proliferated to the point where we're, most people are have the language to understand you know what's how we're all really connected and how we're all influencing one another, even yeah. if we understand it on a on a an experiential level. The actual like intellectual and and just like the academic side of that is sort of emerging. So yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity for um, you know classrooms and and school communities that are really fostering that type of deep relationship and connection and support around well being and 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 bringing well being into that as well. That can have a huge hugely beneficial impact. So those are some of the I want a little rant there because I'm really passionate about this. But those are some of the things that yeah, I feel like really would like to see more of it. I'm actively working on seeing more of an education.
1: That's what I love. And I really appreciate you starting by saying like I'm not the you know expert educator in the classroom because I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking about something else about um, when we were meeting and I was saying like thing educators hate the most is when people that have never walked in a classroom are like spouting out all the solutions. And I will ask people sometimes in my previous podcasts that weren't educators and like they would start spouting out different things. And I'm like, you're probably right, but no one's going to listen to you because of the fact that, you know, we don't want to be lectured at. And like, there's always this, the business guy can come in and save education. So appreciate that. And I think my listeners will too. That said, everything you said after that really resonates. And I think people will agree that, you know, like bringing, and this is really a big part of this podcast is really starting to. Have a platform and a place for people to speak about this and say like let's bring it as many schools as possible and obviously the work you're doing for changes is, is amazing in that respect too um, okay there's a question there's one last question then we're gonna wrap it up and this this is a big question but i know you can handle it so okay. bring it on. what do you kind of see again not as the educator who's been in a classroom his whole life but like as someone who works in education now what do you see as how education is going to change over the next like let's say 20 years well how i hope and
2: believe that education is going to change um is i believe that we will give a lot more um emphasis on first of all on wellness and well-being and actually create like make space in the day for it and educate on mind and body mental and physical and emotional well-being and support educators in in that as well so that's one aspect um but Beyond that, I really would like to see education being more and more uh, able to meet each teacher like first of all, empowering educators more as well because I think that it it I don't I think trying to fit students into cookie cutters and educators into cookie cutters is a recipe for disaster. I think and i th- I, I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of cases and yeah as 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 important as standards are, and I do think they are, I think that it's also it's even more important or at least equally important to like have perfect, like have very skilled educators who are very well trained and supported and developed and, and also really trust, like let them, you help them use their skill and experience to actually have the biggest impact with students. Um, And also, you know, I'm really into like more learner driven models. And I mean, there's so much innovation that's happening that again, I don't feel like I have, I can speak expertly at all to, you know what exact form i think that for different students different forms of education are needed and i don't i think i think my overall sense and hope and feeling and what i what i'm part of and want to be continue to be part of is making helping there be many more opportunities in education for students to find the type of education that works for them for teachers to really educate from a place that they believe in and that they're skilled in and yes. for that to be the experience of many more people and i think the other thing is that you know I'm an entrepreneur. Thank my father was an entrepreneur, so thankfully that door was you know I kind of always I didn't even know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I just didn't want to be anything else. So I was like, all right, right. I'm going to do this, right? But I think like also as we haven't talked about, but you know most people are aware of our job market is dramatically shifting. Oh yeah. So we need to like I imagine I hope and imagine we're going to get away from rope memorization and like a lot of the things that are just completely. On essentially un you know, useless, um, and really move towards helping people find who they are, helping students find who they are, who they are, who they are at their core, who their wh- what wh- what their gifts are, who they want to be, how they want to contribute to society in a meaningful way that works for them and society. Like to me, that's where a lot of the of the magic is. In addition to you know the well the skills for well being to navigate this very stressful world. I also really hope and believe that education needs to focus on that, helping students tap into something they care about, something that matches their skills and gifts and talents, whatever those may be. And that's going to look so different for different students and also have a mindset that they can adapt to change because change is only accelerating. And, you know, we really need to cultivate that skill.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, these are... I mean, we could really talk about this for a long time, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's so much to talk about. But what I love what you said is all things I believe in, why I launched Growth Public Schools, why I'm doing this podcast, because really it's about like, how do we create more learner-driven... My belief is that we can create more learner-driven schools and proof points Mm -hmm. that people start to see that this is possible. And so, you know, when I was kind of like trying to figure out the real thesis statement for this podcast, I was getting a little confused with myself because I'm like... I want it to be all about well-being for educators, so that creates a ripple effect. And I want people to see that, like these learner-driven schools, can totally you know change the world. So it's it's getting it's a little bit of like doing that dance in the in the conversations we're having. But you know, if we could have the places that show that you don't have to do the traditional way of school, because we don't know. And when I was recruiting families to my school, a lot of people were like, "Well, no one's going to want that," and I'm like, "Well, no, they want it. They just don't know what it is." Mm-hmm. So my pitch would be like is your child happy and scoring? Not really. Is your child being challenged? Not really. Does your child, does, does the, every adult in the building know what your child's like calling is and what they're working toward, including the child? Yeah. Not even remotely close. Like, do you want a school where that would be possible? Awesome? Yes. You know, and it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. So people don't understand what it is, but necessarily like they don't know what the structure looks like and what it looks like, but they know what it feels like that their child cared for to have a place where the kids are at the center and they an entrepreneurial mindset. And to your point, like 20 years from now, I mean, you think about 20 years ago, like yeah, all the democratization of content and just, you know, everything. It's just, it's just going to be a ton of AI. Like we could go on and on, right? So yeah. creating schools that are actually, you know, not a hundred years behind, but a hundred years ahead. And so it's, um, it's a big task, but it's great to meet people like you that are at least having the conversations and, you know, having Breathe for Change with, Because again, I do believe this is where when I get confused on what this podcast is about, I'm like, oh no, now remember, it's the intersection of people that are working in the space that want to create change, that are doing the inner work, that are saying like, I'm ready to learn about the flow state and the nervous system and my own inner child and all these things that are going to help them be a better leader. And that's where you start to see the ripple effect. And you start to see more and more of these learner-centered schools open across the country. And people like you and me get to talk about it and share it with others. So Mm -hmm. that's the hope. Same, same note, team there. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> on that note, um, anything you want to share with the listeners, you know, about Breathe for Change or the website or anything like that, you might want to do it. We'll put it in the show notes, but just in case you want yeah, to. Yeah,
2: sure. That. Yeah. I mean, check out, if you're in education and you're passionate about well-being, check out Breathe for Change. We uh we started my uh, my co-founder Dr. Ilana Nankin, who was a classroom teacher she is the actual educator i brought the entrepreneurial side and just the passion for this stuff and wellness and and my background is actually in physics so kind of the mind body wellness side but anyway uh started in 2015 and have now just certified our 10000th educator as a certified 200 hour yoga instructor and our whole we have the world's only um yoga teacher certification that's all about How it's incredibly relevant to education, both for your own well-being and purpose and passion, and staying connected to that thing that drove us to education in the first place, which can be very hard to stay connected to these days. Um, And then also, of course, tons of tangible tools and strategies to work with kids and adults of different ages. So that's a little plug, but yeah, would love you know we're always we run trainings you know all the time. So there's then there's a lot of free resources and webinars and stuff. So just encourage people to check it out. Uh, really proud of it. We've created, you know, a lot of, a lot of amazing, amazing experiences. And most importantly, our community is super robust and there's passionate educators that are, you know, really changing the world. So it's a place to get inspired as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, definitely. That's how I met you was through breathe for change that breathe for change. .com, breathe yeah. With, breathe. With the number four. Uh, F O R. Oh, fr read for Okay, great. It'll be in the show notes, but just in case, check it out. And um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. And I feel like we could talk for hours, but Hey, we did a good job. Another, another time. time. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks sure. so much, Michael. Thanks, David. Thank you so much for listening to the mindful education warrior podcast. I want you to know that every guest and listener is a value part of this co-creation. We're so honored that you listened and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement and without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to davidkrichards.com where you will find special offers for podcast listeners. And as always, if you're moved by an episode, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. I'm sending you so much love today and the courage to really be the mindful warrior within you. Thank you.
0: Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards,